The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? I'm maintaining as always. I'm glad we're here for another week. All right. Glad you could be here as well. And joining us this weekend from north of the border is the professor of thugonomics himself, none other than Wall Street, Will Strickland. What's going on, Will? <laughs> I thought it was, what is that, John Cena? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. He's, John Cena's the doctor of thugonomics, but you're the professor. Cause you're oh, the- I'll, take, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> Good to be here, man. Hey, man, it's good to talk to you. It's been a minute, man. We haven't had you on the score, but, you know, always good to hear from you. Let the people know what you got going on, the various uh, ways they can keep up with you and hear your opinions other than on another score. Well, you know, on these Internet streets, you can find me on uh, Instagram at uh, Will Strickland and the number one. You can find me on Twitter at Wall Street of one. You know, um, you can find my work at PressBasketball.com um, in my column, The Open Run. You know, just... Uh, Trying to get it together for 2018 and and looking to do big things, man. The motto is be better to do better. So let's rock. All right, man. All right. So, of course, this weekend we had some hardware given away this week as we had the national championship take place down in Atlanta as Alabama rallies behind true backup freshman Tua Tagalavola. Three second-half touchdowns to stun Georgia in overtime, 26-23. Uh, basically a game of two halves. Georgia out fast, 13 nothing lead, uh, holding Alabama down. There's nothing Alabama can do offensively. Uh, defensively, they're starting to get tired. Georgia's running a no-huddle offense. Looks kind of shades of last year with Clemson. Uh, Alabama's defense looks a little tired, a little sluggish. And then in the second half, Nick Saban makes a quarterback change. Starts out rough. First interception, but the kid keeps his head up, and three touchdowns later, Alabama stuns Georgia in front of their home crowd. So, Will, as the guest, we'll let you start out here first, man, kind of your thoughts, the synopsis of the game, kind of what you saw, and uh, the unbelievable finish and how that played out. Well, I mean, you kind of summed it up, and I don't know about being stunned. I mean, it is Alabama, and that was a team that a lot of fans, especially from Ohio State, didn't believe should have been in the uh, Final Four of the the college football playoff. But they proved their worth in a medal. Nick Saban, as much as I can't stand anything, Nick Saban, um, you have to give him his due. You know, I thought he blinked at halftime. He really just gambled and rolled the dice. And he picked the winning horse, really, if I could find any more cliches, I will. Um, but, you know, going to two freshmen and him going out there and just slinging the ball because Jalen Hurts couldn't do that, you know, was a, a great gamble. But the defense started playing better under this, uh, behind the, the rallying behind this young guy. And, you know, You have to tip your hat to Alabama. He's easily the greatest college football coach ever. Um, That can't be in dispute, in my my opinion, right now. I mean, he almost won a national championship at Michigan State, too. So you tie in the one he won at LSU. You tie in the ones he's won at Alabama in the shadow of Bear Bryant. And then the one he almost won at Michigan State. Like, there is no other coach that has that resume in college football, so you have to give it up to him for running an NFL team down in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, it's been a tough year for Georgia in football. I'll say that much. <laughs> you know, whether it be the University of Georgia or the Atlanta Falcons, I guess the Falcons have a chance to redeem. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, this young man it became an automatic favorite of mine and, and made me a believer in what he does. And he's definitely a Heisman front rider. 
with that performance in, in the uh, biggest game of his life, he just came out and played like he was practicing. And when you have those kind of qualities as an 18, 19-year-old freshman in arguably the biggest football school in the world, and to come in and, and play with that much poise and, and, and that much determination and that much vision, like the, the guys on that team, whatever happens – Next year, between he and Hertz, if Hertz becomes a running back, if he becomes like their wildcat back or whatever the case might be, depending upon how they use him, this kid is going to be in that starting lineup next year somehow, some way, because the players on that team believe in him after they saw what he did. Yeah, for sure. Dwayne, your thoughts on uh, the national championship, some things that you saw, some things that stood out to you. So, yeah, um, so the last play, two words, busted coverage. Um, I don't know if George was trying to run a cover two, and the cornerback got caught looking in the backfield, and and Tua just hit a wonderful pass. I I saw what made it even worse was Georgia had him dead to right. So it was second and 26 at that point. And so Georgia, all they really had to do was not play prevent, because I always say when you play prevent, defense, it prevents you from winning. And that was a clear example of what happened. The pass was spot on. The call by Nick Saban was very gutsy. You know, it was a real ball move. The offense was stagnant. Jalen Hurts wasn't getting anywhere. Georgia was gashing Alabama's defense. And, you know, everything looked aligned in the stars for Georgia to win in their own backyard against against Alabama. You know, we even thought the – People would take out the mentor, and and for a good while, it looked like that was the case. And now, at the end of the day, hats off to Alabama. You know, you can't you can't take that away from them. And I just think it's going to take something. I I hope these two play each other next year. I'm sure that they do, uh, considering how the SEC does the scheduling. So that's really going to be one of the marquee matchups for next season and I'm actually looking forward to it because you know and for all the Ohio State fans that said Alabama should should have been in the playoff or Alabama should not have been in the playoff and they should have been you don't give up 55 points to Iowa and expect to be in the playoff it just does not work that way so don't give up 55 points to Iowa maybe the narrative will be different but you gave up 55 points to Iowa get over it okay I'm done all right. Do you have any thoughts about Jalen Hurts' future? Um, you know, is he going to transfer, new position, kind of like Will alluded to, uh, maybe a running back or a wildcat or backup quarterback? Kind of what are your thoughts on uh, his future? If he's smart, he should just go down to FCS, do the Devontae Kincaid route, go to FCS. Grambling needs a quarterback because Kincaid is going to the draft. So, you know, Grambling can make another run at a celebration bowl could be their third straight appearance if Jalen Hurts goes down to SCS. You know, some somebody will need the services at quarterback. I fully disagree. And and I respect that, but let me finish. I say I say that because, you know, at the end of the day, I think Tua's gonna take over that team. And you know, you could transition to receiver, you know, you're gonna have plenty of practice to, you know, get the hands ready, things like that. But if he still wants to play quarterback, to me, you know, Grambling or or uh, SCS route would be, would be good. I don't think you take away the national visibility. You've given yourself going to three straight, or is it three straight 
um, national championship games, one one, lost one, or lost one one, lost one, started, started one, <clears throat> three straight. So why would you walk backwards? And no disrespect to Grambling. I mean, that's a great, rich history, and it's a great thing. But Jalen Hurts is still on the, the the radars of NFL teams because of his time at at uh, Alabama. And so if he becomes a Cordell Stewart slash type, Denard Robinson type, or, or somebody who, who can play like some running back, some slot back, just l- little plays, and then he can also be quarterback at sometimes. Like, I would not take away the glow that I've got there at Alabama. And those why he might not be, you know, the great A.J. McCarron, but there's no reason for him to, to, to uh, transfer, I don't think. And anything could happen as freshman. Like, we can get gassed off of a half and some overtime. We can get gassed. He could be terrible next year for all we know. I don't see that in his personality and his countenance, the way he carried himself uh, during the game, even post-game. So I don't see that in him. I see him being successful. However, you know, anything could happen. You can get injured. And what, 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 I, I don't see the loss in having a qualified and steady and stable quarterback who's been to the big game, who understands big games in your lineup. That's an insurance policy. Uh, I don't think he's not going to play. I think you don't, you don't have a Jalen Hurts on the sideline, somebody who's, like the locker room's not divided in some shape, form, or fashion because they helped win it. I mean, the first guy on the field Man, um, when, when to, was Jalen was Jalen Hurts. You know what I mean? No, I'm not saying. Again, you don't have to defend yourself. I didn't. I didn't say you said something. I didn't say you said something you didn't say. You don't have to defend yourself. What I'm saying is, I'm just making the point that I think it would be. I, all I did was disagree with your point, and that Jalen Hurts is good where he is. There's no saying that he's not going to be the starting quarterback next year. I just look to me, it looks like Tua's going to be the starting quarterback. But that's not to say they don't have a competition. That's not to say that he's not, you know, someone who's qualified to, to start at Alabama. He did it for two years. They went to the national championship game. People can say, oh, it's their defense. It's their defense. But somehow, some way, he was doing well enough to, to, to be in the game. So, you know, I just don't think it's, it's worth transferring and running the first opportunity when you don't feel like you're going to have a starting spot. You just make yourself invaluable in different ways. I mean, that's all good and well, and I get that. And I'm just providing another option. What if, let's say, if he does become the backup, what if he does want to play? What if he does want to improve his stock? Because, I mean, it's a what have you done for me lately? I mean, you're going to look at the last couple of years or last year as a backup where you could have the opportunity to play elsewhere. So there, I'm just saying, you know, he's a good consummate professional. He handled it. Very well. He's had a great record at Alabama. He's been like, what, 25 and 2 as a starter? Absolutely. That's awesome. I'm just saying there could be an option to do a AFCS route. It doesn't necessarily have to be Grambling. It could be somewhere else, you know, where there is a successful well, program who can. There's a. If he wants to transfer, I think that there's a landing spot that is in FCS. And he's got a guy that's his biggest supporter, always has been. It's Lane Kiffin. He just got a big 10-year deal. They had the best season they've ever had as a team in college. So right now, he can do anything he wants. So if Jalen Hurts was available to come in, you know, FAU, you know, I think that would be the landing spot if Dwayne, what you're talking about, he wants to play and try to pursue an NFL career. Go to the coach that believes in you, that understands, you know, what you can do and can't do and can, you know, make you look really good to put your best film forward. I think that that might be the absolute best option if he wants to transfer. Now, like Will was saying, Alabama has a profile that you can't deny. And if you can go out there and become a, 
uh, Terrell Cryer type, you know, where you play quarterback and all of a sudden you transition and you're playing receiver and doing this and doing that. The, the, the profile of Alabama just being that, you know, auxiliary player will be much greater than Sean and, and Grambling, no matter what stats you put up. And I think that's kind of what Will's saying is you already have this profile. Don't move down from that. Stay at Alabama and and be great on Alabama as something else. And now you're the more you can do because you become like a Belichick type player. Then the more you can do, the more valuable you become. That's I mean, probably that's, I mean, that's, that's cool, too. But I mean, everybody, and I guess me and the HBCU alone. Right. It's like, why are we disrespecting Grambling? Why are we downplaying what Grambling has done? in the last couple of years. I mean, they've won their own national championship. They've been in the in the bowl game for that championship as well. So it's like, let's not just sit up here and say, you know, FAU, yeah, Lane Kiffin is a high-profile coach, but let's not sit up here and say FAU is is an elite program or has a storied history. They're, they, they are on the rise, absolutely. And I think Lane Kiffin, if he does stay or if he goes, he's going to leave that program in a much better place than than what he came to but let's not sit up here and say you know hey hey this school is you know you got a high profile yeah but you could bring that profile to that school and 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 you can still flourish i mean let's and the coaches at grambling have worked on with quarterbacks so and that's something that shout out to steve gator and shout out to hbcu game day uh, and I guess I just got to sit up here and defend the HBCUs here because it just seems like we're just disregarding what what they can provide in an opportunity. Yeah, I miss it. I miss the whole you have to defend that part. I understand you're emotional about that, but I don't think anyone here disrespected the HBCUs. As a matter of fact, I would my statements would say no disrespect to Grambling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you're missing the whole point because you're emotional about the thing instead of thinking about the t- topic at hand. But we can do that all day. We should move on. Yeah, yeah, we're going to move on. Let me, let's go to the next topic. Yeah, we're going to move on. So we're going to go to the wild card weekend where we had the Tennessee Titans upset the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, another flame out as a favorite. This time at home, they've had some excuses where they've been on the road a couple of times. But um, the Titans, Marcus Mariota, Derrick Henry, uh, they stayed the course. And uh, the Chiefs suffered a major injury to Travis Kelsey. He got knocked out of the game with a concussion. So, Dwayne, we know that you're very close to the Titans. Um, what's the mood around the, the you know, the sentiment of this big win? Marcus Mariota, his first playoff game, first playoff win, played well, threw a touchdown pass to himself. First time I think a lot of people's ever seen that. So uh, just kind of your thoughts on the, Chief, on the uh, Titans upsetting the Chiefs. Well, the Arrowhead playoff curse lives on. The Chiefs haven't won a playoff game there since 1993, and it still lives on. I thought the Titans had been dead to rights because it was 21-3 a half. Nothing was going right for them. Kansas City was running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, and you had the NFL's leading rusher, Kareem Hunt, and you only run it five times in the second half, and he leads the league. And he led the lead the season in yards from rushing yards in the fourth quarter. And, of course, number two was Derrick Henry. And we saw what the Titans did. They ran Derrick Henry when they had the opportunity to. And as for the Mariota pass to himself, there was a little bit. It, he was very close to the line of scrimmage. But, you know, they it counted. You know, it was a live ball. He did a good job of being aware and catching the ball, making that score. 
I the mood around here is, you know, everybody's starting to feel confident about the Titans, you know. They're getting a little ambitious with the with the game today against the Patriots and rightfully so, you know. This is something that they've waited nine years for. It's been about two thousand eight since they last made a playoff appearance and had the city buzzing and they're really trying to, you know, emulate what the Predators did with the Stanley Cup run last year. So the mood here is, you know, is, is pretty fun to watch, you know, as as a overall football fan. All right. Now, well, I want to bring you in and talk about the Chiefs. They're going to face an offseason full of questions. Uh, Andy Reid just doesn't want to win. The game's ugly. All he had to do was just run the ball and just grind uh, the Titans out because, of course, we know the Titans don't have really a, you know, come from behind type offense. So where do you see Kansas City going and, and kind of, you know, where did they lose this game? Other than, you know, of course, Kelsey going out was a big blow to their passing game, but that shouldn't have stopped them, you know, 23, 21 to three, you know, lead. No, not at all. Not at all, Don. And I think that when you look at it, it's going to be a, a serious season of reflection. And then again, I say that and I think about the fact that, you know, Alex Smith had to play through the whole Pat Mahomes is going to come in and take my job. And he played great for the most part. But what happens to Andy Reid teams in the playoffs always happens that Andy tries to overcoach and micromanage far too much and try to show how smart of a coach he has he is and they has 900 different plays that he drew up on this grease board the week before no one cares at the end of the day sometimes you have to do the simple things do simple better that's all you have to do right do simple better you had the leading rusher in the nfl you had one of the top uh, uh efficiency quarterbacks in the national football league you know, um, you have other weapons, Tyreek Hill. You, know, you have weapons on that team. I understand that Travis Kelsey was a big blow to you, but you also have a veteran defense. Marcus Peters has been losing his mind late in the season, and they have to reevaluate who and what they want to be. They have to, they're going to have to move away from the old Tom Holly, Justin Houston uh, defensive line, too. I think they're living on that. If they think that Eric Berry can come back again, Next year, they just have to revamp that entire team, I believe. And that will probably mean that Alex Smith is going to be somewhere maybe in New York or, or and maybe in Washington because I don't think Kirk Cousins is, is resigning there. He's going to go somewhere that has a decent offensive line, a decent running game, so he can you know ex- explore his options elsewhere. But there's going to be a, a lot of upheaval in Kansas City, and I don't see that Andy Reid's going to make it a long-term out of there. All right. Now, out on the West Coast, we had the Falcons stifle the Rams 26-3. We had the Rams have some costly turnovers on special teams, and then the Falcons' defense, when they got once they got spotted the lead, kind of choked them out. So, uh, Will, I'll get back with you on this. A Rams rookie coach, rookie quarterback, first time in the playoffs. Uh, they they might have had the jitters. It looked like the stage might have been a little bit too big for them. Um, and it looks like their coach might have got away from their strength, which was Todd Gurley. He had only 14 rushes, but he had 101 yards. So kind of, you know, your assessments of, of the Rams uh, and their first time back in the playoffs in L.A. in a long time. Well, I mean, they were playing at home. I don't see what the jitters were about. It's a game. And first year, uh, it, well, you have first year coach and golf is a se- second. Uh, he's a second or third year quarterback. Year, second year quarterback. Second year quarterback. Player. Right. Yeah. Excuse me. And his, his rookie playoff um, experience. You know, it wasn't a great one. I think that sometimes when you get in these kinds of games, and Atlanta should know this from the Super Bowl, um, you can get up earlier. You can, like, run through your scripted plays early on in the game and feel that there's some success. And then you don't do the things uh, to win the game that you did to get you in the game. In the first place, as you said, Ty Gurley didn't run the ball 30 times. He didn't 
you know, um, he wasn't featured as much. And, of course, the speed of that Atlanta defense cannot be uh, dismissed when you're talking about how they were able to try and neutralize the rest of that team. I mean, you had guys who were dropping a lot of passes. Robert Woods dropped some passes. Uh, Cooper Cup dropped a lot of passes. So you look at those guys. They have to make plays for Jared Goff because he's not going to make a lot of plays with his legs. Um, I think he threw a late touchdown to Tyler Higby. And other than that, you know, they didn't really have a lot of success. So we can talk about them, you know, going to the playoffs the first time in X amount of years, whatever the case might be. But they were, they were the highest scoring offense in the league, if I'm not mistaken. And they didn't play like they were going out. They, they played like they didn't want to lose the game as, as opposed to playing to win the game. And I, I felt like that was a detriment uh, to their detriment. All right. Now, Dwayne, I'll bring you in on the Falcons side. Like we're talking about their, their defense definitely rose to the occasion. Uh, harassed Eric Goff. They got a lot of sacks on them. But their offense, um, you know, showed up late. Julio Jones uh, was effective. And the return of their running game seemed to uh, come back in this game. So talk about kind of the Falcons and maybe what they have found by going to L.A. and beating the Rams in such convincing fashion. Yeah, I think the Falcons came in on a mission to get back to the Super Bowl. They really started to show that flash of offense against the Panthers in week 17, and they carried over into this wild card game. Julio Jones was a big factor. Uh, I know Tremaine Johnson has been uh, one of those guys who, who's been on the shutdown corner. You know, he's been one of those shutdown corners that nobody's really talked about, but Julio Jones really, you know, was Julio Jones that we all have grown accustomed to over the year, over the years. And then as for the running game, not only Devontae Freeman was effective, Tevin Coleman was effective as well. You know, when you got that inside outside running game going on and both of them can run between the tackles, both of them have speed on the outside, especially Coleman. He's the bigger of the two, but he has a lot of speed for a big running back like that. And, and I have really was impressed with the Falcons' performance. And it's really going to be interesting to see how they do when they go to Philadelphia today. Uh, all right. Now we have. Now, before, before we finish that, yes, uh, I think, Dwayne, you bring, bring up a great point about Atlanta looking so much better and looking like they want to make a Super Bowl run. But that Cole is going to tell you a whole lot about that Atlanta team. It's going to tell you a whole lot about uh, if that speed gets cut in half. Uh, offensively and defensively, if they're thinking more about the elements than they are uh, about beating uh, Napoleon Dynamite up there at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, we'll find out. And Agreed. I think that they overcome that, they end up going, and I'm not going to, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to predict that game yet. I'm going to leave that alone for now. But I think <laughs> if they can overcome the elements and overcome the mentality around those elements, that we, we are dome, we play in a dome, you know, we have this level of comfort with that. But to go outside and play old-fashioned NFL football in the elements, in the cold, and beat a team that has no offensive confidence whatsoever. Grady Jackson and Vic Beasley and all those guys, Robert Alford, Trufant, all those guys are going to have to make big plays in this game to shut them down early and shut that run game down behind Ajay and um, also uh, LeGarrette Blunt. All right, all right. A little bit of preview for uh, the Eagles and uh, Falcons there. But before we get on to that, the divisional games, we've still got two more wildcard games as we have the Jaguars outlast the Bills 10-3. to 
and a rock yeah. of a football game. Um, definitely uh, quarterback play uh, left much to be desired. But, um, you know, the Jacksonville defense has, you know, did what it has done all year, just suffocating other teams' passing games. Uh, Shady McCoy was trying to get it out on a bum ankle. Uh, he could just never really get it going, uh, you know, consistently enough to take some pressure off of Tyrod, who unfortunately got knocked out late in this game uh, with a very scary-looking concussion. Um, so, uh, Will, Jacksonville Jaguars, um, they are basically the 2017-18 version of the Baltimore Ravens, but their quarterback might not even be a good, as good as Trent Dilfer was. Yeah, and I, you know what? The defensive comparison is a great one to make. They got a lot. They got six new guys in that defense, including, you know, who I think is probably uh, outside of Aaron Donald possibly and then maybe uh, Cam Jordan in, in New Orleans is Calais Campbell, probably the defensive player of the year. Um, you have that defensive backfield that's probably the best in the league, you know, with A.J. Boyer, who came over from the Texans, and my man, young Jalen Ramsey, and I'm not going to get on him, but, you know, he's getting a lot of Deion Sanders-like respect right now, and he's playing like that as well. When he can shut down one side of the field by himself, that's a very difficult defense to score on, although they got some points hung on them, I think, the, the, the last or second to last week of the season. But I think they're going to be focused going in. They just need Blake Bortles, a.k.a. the bootleg Ben Roethlisberger, to show up and be more effective in that offensive backfield, or they're going to have real problems against Pittsburgh. And uh, I just feel like this game was, like you said, a rock fight, and Blake Bortles did what he needed to do to win the game. And at the end of the day, I think that's what you have to count on. People want these video game um, stats, but nobody's going to look back five, ten years from now, especially if they win something or if they move beyond the next round and say, oh, Jacksonville's quarterback was terrible. He got them there by whatever need, means necessary. And sometimes it's what you have to do. The, the bottom line or the bottom line is you have to win and your quarterback did the things to help you win. So. All right. Now, Dwayne, I'm going to bring you back in on a little sad note for you as the saints, they held on to beat the Panthers 21 to 26. It's the third time that the uh, beat the Panthers. And like you said last week on the show, the statistics show that, you know, more than likely the the team that had won the first two more than likely wins the third game as well. Um, this was a game where you got good cam, but you got the bad hand receivers uh, for the Carolina Panthers show up in this game. Uh, the defense, um, you know, they, they sprung some leaks, but they did give Kim, uh, you know, last chance with the ball there. Um, you know, to try to go down and, and win the game. So just your assessment of what you saw from your Panthers uh, ending their season down in New Orleans. <sighs> okay. So, number one, you can't trade field goals for touchdowns. Every time the Saints scored a touchdown, the Panthers had a field goal. So it's 21-9. The Panthers put themselves in a hole. Number two, going kind of going backtrack a little bit, Florida State kicker strike again. Graham Goodnell with the wide right. And – Prior to that, Kalen Clay dropping the touchdown pass that would have put Caroline up early. So the bad hands receiver struck as well. Cam Newton did everything in his power to do what he – he did everything in his power to make sure Caroline had a shot. And Carolina did have their chances. They had two red zone trips that ended up in field goals. The third one was the missed field goal. And my other problem was the – I normally don't like to put the pull the ref card here. I hate doing that as a fan. I hate doing that as, you know, being objective. But that was a bad intentional grounding call on the Panthers. But, you know, it, it, it happened. So you play on and 
all Devin Funches had to do on the next play when Cam threw him the ball was to simply, you know, just get in position, like box out, do something to make the make the Saints defenders, you know, try to pull him down, try to create a flag or something. He said he and in the post game that he lost the ball in the lights, but it just looked it looked worse than what he explained. So maybe it was the case, but you know, you gotta give yourself a chance or to get a victory here in that situation. The offense, you know, had its moments where it looked great, but for the most part, it was not going to match up with Drew Brees. And at the end of the day, you know, you lose to your division rival three times, you know, there might be the owners of the Carolina Panthers instead of the new owner that's going to come in and take over. So, and the times Picayune pretty much said it, the owners of the Carolina Panthers were the New Orleans Saints. So hats off to the Saints. And they move on. Now, well, I want to bring you in just one thing that hasn't really been correlated a lot, but maybe if they keep making this run into the playoffs, the people will start bringing it up. Uh, Drew Brees is looking like uh, John Elway circa uh, 1998, you know, quarterback that's been great, had all the stats in the world, done some tremendous things, kind of was slipping a little bit, you know, in comparison to his stats. And then he got some fresh legs in the backfield. And then all of a sudden his career has a resurgence again. And they look like they're one of the stronger teams. Uh, you know, in the NFC this year to make a run. So just kind of talk about the new philosophy of the Saints coming, becoming a, you know, ground and pound, you know, team. And Drew Brees is just a, a, a good part to have now. Oh, yeah. I think it, it definitely helps extend your career. And I don't know, I don't know if I would necessarily make the John Elway comparison because he actually won a Super Bowl that he was in um, before Terrell Davis got there. So, uh, but I dig where you're going with that. I, I think that, uh, it's really a great thing for this team that started off really slow this season and that Drew Brees has had the luxury of having two guys a lot like if you look at, at Tua and, and, and Hurts at Alabama, guys who knew they were playing the same position but got along and actually made it easier for them to thrive in that backfield with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, the first two guys in NFL history to get 1,500 yards from the backfield in the history. Like that's an amazing thing to do. Uh, and that definitely eased the load on Drew Brees because outside of Michael Thomas, name his top, his top receivers. So, you know, Drew's going to throw for four or 5,000 yards each and every year, um, but not really have the defense or not uh, have a lot of empty calorie uh, stats, but nothing to show for it because they haven't been in the playoffs and they haven't been competing for a championship until this year. And so, you know, it, it really is, it really does look like that 2009 team in a lot of ways. Uh, I really love their defensive front. Um, with, with Cam Jordan, like he's a problem. That whole defensive front four is a problem. And um, Cam is a leader of that front four. And I just believe that when you can excel in all three phases, you know, especially uh, defensively in the playoffs, uh, you give yourself a chance. And that game, Minnesota, like most people are chalking that up, is probably what should be the NFC, NFC championship game. But, you know, the, the Saints have done a great job getting to this point, And I look forward to a great game uh, against Minnesota. All right. Before we move into the divisional playoffs, just want you to 
remind people that you are listening to and know the score. I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne, and we are joined today by our special guest, Wall Street, Will Strickland. And you can find us each and every week right here on CSPN.us. So the divisional playoffs are kicking off as we record this on Saturday, as we're going to have the Titans and Patriots in the primetime game as the Titans go up to Foxborough. It's probably going to be some weather up there as well this weekend. And uh, the Patriots are going to try to defend their title. Um, so, you know, coming off the uh, article that was surfacing, talk about the dysfunction and, and the turmoil going on within the upper ranks of the Patriots rank and file. So, Dwayne, since you're a man on the inside with the Titans, um, what, are your, what do you see going on tonight? How can the Titans uh, pull another upset in this time, the biggest upset of them all? Run the ball. Simple. The three Patriots losses, the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Chiefs, all of them had 100 yards rushing. And the Chiefs had 185, the Panthers had 140, the Dolphins had 120. If Derrick Henry can get the ball going, can, you know, continue his his uh, tear, because you're not going to have DeMarco Murray, he's out again with that knee injury. And if Marcus Mariota makes the smart plays, the smart throws, and doesn't get uh, too erratic on offense, then you have a great chance to pull the upset. Now, with all the with all that being said, can it happen? Absolutely. I think it's going to be a lot closer game than most think. I know one of the last games I do remember between these two was that 59-14 shelling that the Patriots gave Tennessee. But, you know, you got a different cast of characters now. If the defense can stay on and do what they need to do, we can see a potential upset and I'll be looking forward to that. And I'm sure all of Nashville will be as well. All right. Now, Mr. Wall street, we know it, those it, of us that know you know that your man is Thomas Edward Brady. So tell us about, you know, we've seen a little slippage this year because the offensive line, maybe not as good as it has been in the past. People have been around time. We all know that's his kryptonite. You've got a good defensive line and you can keep him from stepping into his throws that you can get to Tom Brady and, and be just that quarter inch off that he's normally not. And you can, you know, make their offense sputter, not necessarily shut it down because you got that big monster roaming in the middle of the field. That's always there if he really needs them. So kind of what is your view of this game and how it will play out uh, tonight between the Titans and the Patriots? Well, to be clear, sir, the name is the field surgeon, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, to be clear. <laughs> and he is my guy. He's been uh, my guy since he was breaking my heart at the University of Michigan, losing Rose Bowl games and stuff like that. And a quick shout out to the late, great Heath Jackson, who died today. Uh, so no more Wolf Nelly. Um, rest in peace, old line. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, I, I do agree with Dwayne. I think that it's going to be a better game than what people anticipate. I think that the... Defense of the Titans is going to help a whole lot. I don't know what they're going to do offensively other than, you know, Bill Belichick obviously is the master of of taking something the way that you want. And I think, you know, they've given up 4.71 yards uh, a carry, the highest uh, yield of any team in the league, and especially left in the playoffs. So running the ball is a a Mike Malarkey kind of thing that should be on his, his, his grease board today. Um. I don't know how much they'll do that. And they're going to make Marcus Mariota win the game with his arm. But as far as the Patriots, um, they're going to do what they do. You, you, can, you can do all the things like, here's the man who led the league in passing, in Tom Brady, passing yards, as you say, at 40 years old. 
never been done before. You know, when you say slippage, I'll take that slippage. You know, um, from a guy who walked down um, a very great Atlanta team just a couple of months ago, well, over a year ago, or almost a year ago, I should say, and uh, is still playing football at a very high level. So all the outside noise and all the stuff about them breaking apart and going elsewhere, this is a business, and they do the business better than anyone in the history of the game. Um, when you can win and be as consistent as they have been in the age of free agency, you have to look at this as possibly being even the greatest franchise, football franchise of all time as well, uh, especially during free agency, uh, the era of free agency. But, you know, I think that you're going to see a lot of James White. You're going to see a lot of Deion Lewis. You're going to see a lot of Rex Burkhead. You know, if Chris Hogan is back, you're going to have a lot of weapons and you don't even have Julian Edelman back yet. So, you know, I don't see a whole lot of problems offensively. What I do see is problems defensively. And if that front line can't get to Marcus Mariota and, and, and have a spy on him to make sure he can't make plays with his legs, um, he's going to find some open receivers. Delaney Walker is, is going to have a big game today, I believe. You know, six to eight ca catches for somewhere in the range of 100, 110 yards because he's going to be that outlet valve. They're going to try and start, shut Derrick Henry down as much as they possibly can, anything out of that running backfield. So, you know, uh, I do think it's going to be a closer game than people think, but eventually, you know, the champions will prevail and move on to the uh, championship final. Uh, Bill Belichick might have to dust off some of those old New York Giants defensive playbooks, take it back to his uh, days as a uh, NFC East, because that's what they're going to get today. Uh, Derrick Henry is probably going to get 20, would probably be the minimum, I think, you know, even if the Titans are behind. Uh, I was just talking to someone this morning. It's like, you know, even if it's not working, the best game plan for the Titans would just be keep pumping the ball to them and hope that, you know, you can tire that defense out, make enough first downs to just keep them on the field. And then, you know, third quarter, late third quarter, fourth quarter, as um, Dwayne said, second leading rusher in the fourth quarter was Derrick Henry. Then he can mm -hmm. maybe start turning those two-yard runs into six-yard runs and then feel those six-yard runs become, you know, 12 and 14 and then, you know, go from there. So, yeah, I think just like you guys say, it's going to be a, a lot closer than people think. And, you know, um, the Patriots have been known, you know, they make the big plays when they need to. So that'll probably be the outcome. But I think the Titans are definitely gaining a lot of people's respect uh, tonight. Um, we'll move on to the Falcons and the Eagles. As we uh, got a mini preview earlier uh, from Will Wall Street. So, Dwayne, I'll let you kind of start with this one. Um, what do you think about the Falcons and the Eagles? Uh, the Eagles starting with Nick Foles. Unfortunately, Carson Wentz will not be able to make this playoff run. Uh, only the third time a team who's won over 11 games will start the playoffs without their starting quarterback. We had uh, Frank Wright for the Giants. Um, excuse me. Um, the Bills. The Bills. And then we had um, Derek Carr last year missed his, play his team's playoff run. So, uh, what do you see from Falcons and Eagles? Well, shout out to Frank Reich. I mean, the 35-3 comeback was legendary. But um, this is tough because, you know, you want to you wanna say easily the Falcons because Carson Wentz, what he did was phenomenal. For me personally, I think that was my MVP. Um, I think Brady will probably get it most likely, but uh, my MVP was Wentz. I think after he got hurt, it kind of just negated that conversation for him in the MVP race for some reason. But I'm going to say it's going to, like Will alluded to earlier, it's going to see if it depends on how Atlanta handles the cold. Uh, and if Atlanta handles the cold, because uh, they're not going to be in L.A., they're not going to be in their cozy little mechanical trap of a stadium. So it's going to be how they handle 
that cold weather. And I think it's going to be a close game. I know Vegas had Atlanta as the favorite, you know, because of the experience, the motivation to get back, the quest for redemption. Uh, but Nick Foles, I, you know, he knows Doug Peterson pretty well. I mean, he's worked with them with when Peterson was with the Eagles and with the Chiefs when he went there briefly. So he's familiar with the offense. I mean, he's, you know, he's had uh, flashes of brilliance, but I – it's a toss-up, you know. It's really a toss-up because there's so many things it just depends on. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and say the Falcons in the upset. You know, I think they will find a way to adjust to the cold weather, and I think you know the Eagles are gonna the Eagles are gonna go down. You know, and it's just gonna be a disappointing end to what was a great start to their season. Will, do you have a prediction for me as far as the outcome of the game? Who do you think is gonna be victorious? Well, I think Atlanta's going to win. I think that um, Nick Foles will generate enough offense. The speed of that defense, I think, uh, of the Atlanta defense. And don't get me wrong, Philadelphia's defense is pretty stout, too, with Fletcher Cox and those guys. But I just think that Atlanta's defense is is faster, can shut down and and hold the edge uh, against Ajayi and and Blunt. And I think that, uh, you know, they're going to make Nick Foles make plays. And either he's going to be the Nick Foles in his first incarnation in Philadelphia, or he's going to be the Nick Foles that went away and came back and is is still really who he is. And we're going to find that out in a hurry. Um, but I, I think Atlanta just has too much, too many tools. You have Julio Jones, who is arguably top three wide receiver in the league, you know. Um, but it's got guys like Mohamed Sanu. You know, the tight ends are going to make great plays. I think you're going to see a whole lot of Tevin Coleman out of the backfield. Um, catching passes and, and run down the field. Tyler Gabriel, guys like that are going to make plays against his defense, and it's going to be tough for Philadelphia. It won't be a ground and pound game for sure. They're going to try and light it up and bury the Eagles early. And um, losing Carson Wentz, obviously, who was an MVP front runner, is a big deal for Philadelphia. But if that was everything that they had with all those weapons, uh, I feel sorry for them. You know, um, but I see Atlanta, and I don't think it's an upset when you have the number one seed being the underdog in their own house, uh, per Vegas. You know, that's a tough uh, – That I guess that does tell you how valuable Carson Wentz really is um, because they can't do anything with Nick Foles right now. And they shut down uh, the, the run game. It's going to be a hard, hard game for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I, I'm picking the, the uh, Falcons to win 27-16. Uh, All right. So we'll move to the games that will take place on Sunday as we have the Jacksonville Jaguars traveling back to Pittsburgh. Uh, This was the scene of the Jaguars' most impressive victory. Um, Ben Roethlisberger threw five interceptions. Uh, uh, Leonard Fournette had a monster game, like 180 yards rushing. And uh, it's the game where Ben Roethlisberger came out and, you know, said maybe he didn't have it anymore, and it started that kind of big, whole controversy. So, Dwayne, get your thoughts. Can the Jaguars come back into Pittsburgh and do it again? Why not? Absolutely. I think they're capable of doing it. Are they going to do it this time? Probably not. I think you're going to need a lot of Fournette, but you're also going to need your quarterback. And Blake Bortles, if he does the right things, and by the right things, I mean, if obviously, if he's smart with the throws, if he doesn't miss his receivers, but he needs to also do like he did against the Bills. If the pass wasn't working, run – Use his legs. He did a good job using his legs, and that really kind of just, you know, helped the Jaguars maintain the lead against the Bills and eventually win the game. 
The defense is very capable of getting pressure on Ben Roethlisberger. I believe Antonio Brown will be ready. I'm not sure if he's going to be playing or not. Um, you know, but I think if he, if Antonio Brown's out, I think Jacksonville has an even greater chance. But it's going to be one of those things we have to see. Uh, they're capable of pulling off the upset again. I, you know, this is a team that changed the culture when Tom Coughlin came in. A lot of players even said that, you know, was hard, you know, with the new regime, but it's, it's paid off. So uh, Coughlin going back to Jacksonville, being involved in the franchise, really has changed the attitude, the mindset of these guys, and they're going places right now. All right, Mr. Will Stricken will bring you in on the side of the Pittsburgh Steelers and kind of your thoughts on what they got going on. We had some little controversy this weekend. Le'Veon Bell coming out in the media saying that, you know, he'd retire or, um, you know, ask for a trade if he got another franchise tag uh, placed on him this year. Just kind of, you know, reminding everybody that he wants his full contract at the end of this year. So just kind of, you know, talk about the Steelers. Is is that going to be a distraction or is this, you know, another team, veteran team that's just on a mission and, uh, you know, can overcome this little blurb and act up and antics? The hottest team in the NFL who's had locker room issues all year long, um, a veteran team, they're going to be okay. I think that, you know, Le'Veon Bell, no matter what he's threatening, he still has the, to, he wants to stick around and make his money. He's not going to retire. How's he going to buy those bales of weed he needs? So you, you got to really, like, think about uh, your future, Le'Veon. You're going you're to be there. But uh, I don't know that that's that much of a distraction. I think everyone wants to see Antonio Brown back on the field. Um, he was listed as questionable earlier. Uh, Mike Tomlin expects him to play. You know, Juju Schuster, Smith-Schuster uh, is going to play a big role. Uh, as well as Jesse James, the tight end, they're going to need him. Uh, as you know, the the Jaguars are going to put a lot, a lot of pressure on Ben Roethlisberger and make him make plays. Uh, at his age, he's still strong and can run a little bit, but you don't want to see Ben out there getting hit because the Landry Jones error could happen right away, and you don't want that in Pittsburgh, uh, not right now. So, you know, I, I think that offensively they're going to be fine. Where they're going to probably have some issues is defensively. Uh, I think that Artie Burns, who has an appropriate uh, last name as a defensive back because he gets burnt a lot, in my opinion. Um, but Artie Burns is injured. I don't know if he's playing or not, but those guys have to play uh, above their heads with not, without losing like their minds about beating Jacksonville up. I think that at the end of the day, you're not going to replicate what they did when they beat them 30-9 earlier in the season. But if you play within yourself as a veteran team, you don't make a whole lot of mental mistakes and have brain cramps when it counts the most, Pittsburgh should win this game pretty easily. And I'd say it's going to be like a 25 to 20 uh, score today. All right. Now, the game that everybody is looking forward to, like Will said, that most people think is going to be the best matchup of the whole NFC playoffs as we have the Saints traveling to the Vikings. Um, Will, I'll let you start this time. Um, the Vikings, you know, everybody's been kind of doubting them because they don't have a superstar quarterback. They really don't have a superstar player on offense at all, really. I mean, I guess you could say Stephon Diggs, maybe Thielen this year has, you know, come around and gotten his name out there more. Um, but what do you see from the Vikings? They're a team that I was very high on coming into the year because I, I thought they had a Super Bowl caliber defense and they just needed enough from their, you know, offense. I thought that Dalvin Cook would kind of be the person that would get them over the hump, but unfortunately he got hurt for the season. So they're coming in with uh, Case Keenum, um, you know, somebody who was on the trash heap of quarterbacks that they just had to get on their team to fill out the roster. And he's led them here to the second best record in the NFC, hosting this playoff game today against the Saints. Uh, what do you see for the outcome of the Vikings in this playoff run? 
Well, you brought up a great point about some of the things they, they did have at the beginning of the season. They had the most efficient quarterback in the league in Sam Bradford. They had a stud at running back in Dalvin Cook. Both of them got injured early. And they remind me a lot, if I, if I can transfer sports for a second, of the 2004 Detroit Pistons. Case Keenum's guy that's bounced around like Chauncey Billups did. He became leader of this team, you know, even though they got Teddy Bridgewater back. You know, you have a stout defense um, that's going to be there at the end of the day because Mike Zimmer is going to make sure his defense is going to be stout. But to replace Dalvin Cook, who was having a great season, um, or, you know, a great start to his career, I should say, and, and losing Sam Bradford and getting to Case Keenum with not, without having uh, Teddy Bridgewater either, you know, and every week is like, okay, they're, they're just eking by, okay, they're okay, but what happens if they make the playoffs? Well, here they are. And as much as people are wringing their hands about Minnesota, they're playing at home throughout the playoffs for the most part. And they could end up in the Super Bowl in their own stadium. That's never happened before. We understand that. But I think that the people that are taking them for granted have not looked at this team as a whole. You, there are some things you can do to stop them for sure. You know, um, I think that Kyle Randolph um, at tight end is going to be key in this game as, as much as um, – you know, uh, because I think they're missing Toby Fleener over there on the, the Saints side. But, you know, a guy like that is going to be key. But I think when you have the best quarterbacks against the Blitz in the league and Case Keenum, he's going to give them a really big chance. And I think this is not as much as, as I want to see, like, a shootout, a blowout like that uh, uh, between these two teams. I think that Case, Case Keenum is going to have a really great game against the Saints. And it's going to come down to the very last second. And uh, you know what? I think that Minnesota is going to beat them. All right. Dwayne, get your thoughts on uh, the Saints and, and the Vikings. We know that you've seen enough of the Saints, so you definitely have a good measure of kind of, you know, what they're looking to do. These teams did play, I think it was week two. Week one. Uh, uh, week one, the Vikings uh, were victorious, and I think it was like 19 to 10, something like that, uh, in week one. So, you know, rematch, but these teams are totally different from, you know, that game. So just kind of, the you know, they might not be as familiar as you would think having played each other in a season. So, you know, your thoughts on Saints and Vikings. Yeah, this is going to be a whole different cast of characters because we went, we thought uh, Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram were going to be the dynamic running back duo in New Orleans when he arrived there. And Adrian Peterson is home in Arizona while Alvin Kamara is flourishing and most likely going to get rookie of the year, I, I, would, I would presume. So as with that being said, and Case Keenum, yeah, I give him a lot of credit because – not only did, you know, the quarterback that you essentially picked for the future came back, he's maintained his professionalism, he's played very well. And and uh, Sam Bradford coming back, I mean, he's also, I mean, he's not as 100% as he was, you know, probably when he replaced Teddy Bridgewater, but Case Keenum has navigated through all of this. You know, I think this is probably the Case Keenum that, most people were waiting for when he came out of college because he was a pretty, I mean, he was assistant quarterback at Houston, but he's really done very well this season with the Vikings. Um, the defense, the defenses are going to stick out to me. You know, I, I think Drew Brees may throw the ball a little bit more than he has thrown the ball, you know, it, because I think the Vikings have the personnel to stop the run. And, of course, when you stop the run, you force Brees to throw more. And that in that extra bad Drew Brees can come into play. So I want to say that I'm going to lean with the Vikings on this one. 
you know, I personally hope that the Vikings win. I've, you know, I personally hope that the Vikings win, um, you know, as a fan. But, you know, I was, my NFC pick was the Saints. So I think Ingram and Kamara find a way to get going. And the Saints, you know, knock off the the um, Vikings. And we set up a very hated rivalry in the NFC title game, part three. So that's what I would kind of want to see as well. It's just to see the fans just go at it on the Internet. <laughs> as most people would tell you, this is the best weekend of football that you can have. Uh, these are usually, you know, the best eight teams in the league squaring off with each other. So, um, you know, definitely going to be looking forward to this division around NFL football. What we're also looking forward to is you guys going to CSPN.us and supporting the podcast. Click on Amazon.com, do some early Valentine's Day shopping, get something for your significant other, and also help your podcast. Your favorite podcast here on CSPN stay free each and every week as some of that purchase from Amazon.com will come back to us here at CSPN and we will help keep each and every podcast free each and every week. So again, Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. We'll get into our final topic, guys, as we'll talk about a little bit of NBA news. Uh, the big news of the week is the Cavs. They're struggling again. Um, you know, they kind of found a little utopia there where they were, you know, the hottest team in the East, the hottest team in basketball. They were running neck and neck there when Houston was kind of hot. They got hot as well, but they've cooled off and they've cooled off significantly as they had blowout losses this week to the Timberwolves and the Raptors. And then they blew a 20 point lead just last night against the Indiana Pacers. Wall Street, Will Strickland, we saw an, an outburst from LeBron that, you know, we really haven't seen in a while, or at least I haven't seen him that demonstrative in a while before. Um, Ty Lue says that people have agendas and they need to kind of, you know, clear those out so they can get back to playing good basketball. Um, is it chemistry issues or is it that, hey, they got a bunch of old guys who can't move their feet on defense? It's a slow news day. It's a slow news day because every January, because, you know, that's when championships are won in the NBA in January. Um, we have the Cavs issue. There's something internal that goes on every year in January in the Cleveland Cavaliers locker room the past three years. This is no different. Uh, they are the oldest team in the league, and whatever the agendas are, if people have issues, there have been all kinds of leaks reports, and somehow, some way, the LeBron, Raymond, James Invitational starts in April and ends up in June somewhere in Oakland. So, I don't worry about those things. I think that they're going to work those kinks out. Uh, what is really going to tell the tale about this team is when they get back Derrick Rose, when they get back Iman Chumper, when they get uh, a fully healthy Isaiah Thomas, you know, and, and they have to figure out who's coming off the bench and who's starting. I honestly believe that they actually play better with Jose Calderon starting because he doesn't demand plays. He doesn't need – you don't have to sit around and wait, wait to try and create an offense for him. Like you have to do with Isaiah right now, they're trying to get him back in this rhythm and, you know, uh, uh, make him a, a lead guy with LeBron. But I think that um, Jake Crowder doesn't play with the same energy that he played with in Boston. Maybe it's the whole underdog mentality, and now he's riding in the limo now. It's a little bit different uh, right now. Some of the guys in the team, you know, Jeff Green has never realized his potential, but they're going to need guys like Jeff Green and like Dwayne Wade to play more consistently. And, and figure out their, their rotation. So I don't get, like, disturbed by, you know, whether people say that LeBron blew up on the bench or, you know, he blew up at last. I can understand getting frustrated because you have all this talent in your team on this roster, no matter how old they are. 
And you should be able, with your experience, to beat some of these teams because you're not playing smart. You're not playing hard. You know, these guys, the rest of these teams are professionals. You know, they put on their pants too, just like everybody else. If you disrespect the worst team in the league, you can get got. And that's what's happening right now is that these guys think they can turn it on. And a lot of these guys don't have the experience of being able to and understanding how to flip that switch. You play and you create habits. And if your habits are good habits, you're going to be okay when you have bad games. If you have bad habits, you're going to get blown out time and time and time again. And they're going to play hard on Monday because it's Golden State. But you have to play as hard when you're playing Sacramento. You have to play as hard as when you're playing Boston. You have to play as hard as when you should be playing a team like Toronto, which is being vastly underrated. This team will not get swept in the playoffs this year. Guarantee that, um, no matter who they play. And, um, you know, I just think that right now, you know, it's a lot of hand-wringing over uh, the team in January. You talk to me in March. If they're looking like this in March, then you have a whole other conversation. All right. Dwayne, bring you in on the conversation. Just kind of, you know, some of the things that you've seen from the Cavs um, um, this week. We had, the, I think, their 29th in defensive, defensive efficiency. Um, nobody seems to be really scoring except for LeBron right now. It just seems like they have just a whole team-wide full of issues going on. Yeah, that, and pretty much Will summed it up. Like, there's really not much I can really add to that, especially since this is what they, as the Cavs turn for, another season this is the time where we like okay what's going on what why are they at this point like this um so i can really i mean it is the second time the pacers have clipped the cavaliers uh because they beat them earlier this season when and snapped their streak so um i mean doesn't mean i mean two wins is two wins um like i said if it's uh if there's any moves at the trade deadline from uh, the LeBron in the front office, I'll just throw that in there. Uh, we'll see what, if any moves are made and, and then see how they acclimate. But you got to also get everybody healthy. You got to see once they're healthy, how they perform, you get that full compliment. So like Will said, it's really, it's, it's a different conversation of, if this happens in March versus January. So I'll just uh, leave it there. All right. And then we'll talk about the last NBA topic for this week. Uh, LeVar Ball, he had a wild week, needless to say, as he's criticizing Luke Walton and, you know, say everybody got to go. Basically, it's not my son's fault that, you know, this team isn't winning. And then he flew across the world to Lithuania, where his sons debuted in their very first professional game. Uh, they sold out the gym over there. They had 100,000 people watching on Facebook Live. So, Dwayne, just talk about, you know, LeVar Ball. He's a lightning rod in America, but he looked like, you know, everybody in Lithuania was happy to see him there. He's a tra- He's He's very charismatic and charisma sells. As for, you know, his boy not the cause of the Lakers struggle, of course he's not the cause because he hasn't played lately because he's been hurt. So of course it's, but it's not part of the struggle, but I mean, we knew the Lakers were going to go through this at least for this year. And then they'll make a run at, you know, the free agents that are available. And that's for the, you know, the business side of things, his business acumen is on point. I mean, using Facebook to, you know, get everybody to watch, you know, Melo and Jello do their thing on the court for in Lithuania, selling out arenas. He is, he is a light, he's become a worldwide lightning rod. 
rod, I should say. And it's just one of those things where you'll see how it goes. I know that the coaches were going to give the ball boys uh, significant playing time. I didn't really get to watch it. I wasn't one of the 100,000 that watched it. Uh, but maybe I'll try to catch something else, you know, get to catch another game, see how they perform. And, you know, good luck to them. I hope that it works out. I mean, the first game was a success. We should see how the rest of the games go. All right, Will Strickland, uh, kind of your thoughts on LaFar Ball. I mean, he basically called out everybody but Magic and Rob Palenka this week. Uh, you know, when he basically didn't name any players by name, but, I mean, you know, that's probably the next thing in the media. And then, you know, just this kind of a plan that he has to try to get – really, this is all to try to get his middle son to the NBA. I think a lot of people will take a flyer on the youngest son, but the middle son seems the one who is getting the extra attention now. So kind of, you know, your thoughts on LaFar Ball's master plan. Well, whatever his master plan is, it won't work on those other two. They're not NBA-level players. And and if they were, he's really killing any opportunity he had to get them there um, because he doesn't know when to say when. This is not Chino Hills. This is Los Angeles Lakers. And you got what you wanted. You said your son, um, Lonzo, was not going to try for any other teams and work out for any other teams in the NBA when he was an underclassman at uh, UCLA coming out into the draft and he only worked out for the Lakers. And guess what? The Lakers picked him. So at a certain point, you have to know when to stop being the soccer mom and sit down. And he's going out of bounds with what he's saying with the Lakers. I think if you want to make sure that the Lakers are okay, shut up. Now, this is not to say that, you know, uh, what LeVar Ball is doing for his other children is not good because as many people who are wringing their hands about, Oh, he's taking away their childhood. Nobody said that about to the parents of the child actors or in Hollywood. No one says this about the 14, 15 year old professional hockey players or tennis players. But again, that might be, you know, a, re- a reflection on their complexion. I get that. What I have issue with is people looking at LeVar Ball and saying that somehow he's hurting his children. He could be. We don't know that. We're on the, out- <clears throat> We're on the outside looking in. But if I'm 16 years old, and somebody said, they're going to pay me to play basketball and I can travel halfway around the world and be this big celebrity and my own TV show and be getting paid at 16. I don't have to go in and, and, and let the NCAA make money off of me. I can make money off myself. So in that sense, I'm not mad at him letting his kids try to live their dream. You know, when people are oh, they should get an education. I'm like, okay, well, people get homeschooled all the time. They get tutored all the time. They have individual study all the time. You know, um, and I think that what he's doing in Lithuania is great for his kids and also great for himself because, let's be honest, this is a lot about LeVar and his ego. He never made it in the NBA. He never made it in the NFL. And this is him, in a lot of ways, living vicariously through his kids. However, if you polled, say, 250 black players in the NBA, and I don't know what percentage of those young men are from one parent or, uh, or fatherless homes, but I can guarantee you a great majority of them who might not have father or might not have had fathers in their homes uh, growing up would kill for a father like LeVar Ball, who's trying to do the best for his children and raise his children. Like, I won't comment on the way this man raises his children. That's his prerogative. Those are his kids. I have no say in that. I can give an opinion. It won't matter, and it doesn't matter. So I don't. However, when you're talking about professional basketball, when you're talking about business, when you're trying to hurt, if you're hurting your business, I'm talking, I'm more looking at how he deals with his business than he does with his children. Because that part, I have no say in. And I admire how he takes care of his children. I do. I don't always admire the way he goes about it. 
But I admire the fact that he's always in their lives and he's trying to help them. And I get that. He's also trying to enrich himself. I get that. And I don't see, you know, people talk about the Kardashians and, and or they don't talk about the Kardashians in the same way. They might grumble about it, but they're still paying them a million dollars to be on the cover of their magazine, too. So if the Bob Ball is coming out telling you that, you know, he wants a billion dollar sneaker deal and this, that and the third and all that. They're not going to get it, but if he gets something close to that, then he's done his job. Like I said, going back to how he got Lonzo on the Lakers. You know, was Lonzo the best player in the draft or even the second best player in the draft? Probably not, but he got his wish. And sometimes you have to say, okay, mission accomplished there. Let my son grow as a basketball player. Give my comments here and there, but just out and out try to undermine the coach. Like you're going to get a job in the NBA, which you would never get. Is, is, is detrimental to Lonzo because all Magic Johnson has to do is to shut this down and say, okay, well, we put Lonzo in the trading block. We're probably going to trade him somewhere like Orlando, you know? Uh, so what do you think about that? And he'll be upset and he'll shut up because it's Magic who has to address him. It doesn't matter what we say in the media. It doesn't matter what people on the internet say. At the end of the day, Magic Johnson has to shut that down or it's going to be a real problem bringing free agents there as well. All right. All right. So at this point, we're going to open it up for everybody's final thoughts. All right. Mr. Will Strickland. I want to shout you guys out for having me on CSPN uh, this week and, and and have me be a part of the network. Uh, um, it, it's been a pleasure for sure. A shout out to Dwayne. Shout out to Don DeLorente, a.k.a. the king of rampant black red neckery. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, to the next time that I'm on. All right. Now, you know, full disclosure, Will Strickland's one of my favorite uh, people to follow on the Internet. You know, uh, been following him since his uh, podcasting days with Morgan P. Campbell and uh, Sweets Watson, because, you know, all heroes don't wear capes and all balls don't bounce. And sure. so, you know, definitely um, been down for a long time with him. Um, just, you know, glad to have you back on the CSPN. Glad that we could link up and always with those uh, profound thoughts and, uh, you know, thoughts on sports. Definitely big ups and respect to you and all that you do and the content that you create up there north of the border, man. Thanks, sir. Mr. Dwayne, your final thoughts, sir? Okay. So, first of all, I want to apologize for that HBCU topic earlier. I did get in my feelings and I hold myself accountable for that. I did, um, I did hear that point and I kind of just went on a tangent. So I do want to apologize to Will, apologize to Don for that. Um, so my final thought really will have to be on uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. So um been a rough start. You know, this team hasn't found its real um, identity. Well, the identity Bill Self wants. But uh, one of the guys is clear and eligible is actually playing at the time of this recording right now, Silvio D'Souza. Uh, and he is on his – he made his debut already, so he's making his debut as we speak. So uh, one hurdle has been cleared for the Jayhawks in getting reinforcements on the block. And the next uh, hurdle will be seeing that Billy Preston can get cleared and and then uh, Bill Self will actually have his full inside-outside game that he desires. And we may see a 14 straight Big 12 title, but there is a team in Morgantown that's very, very good and a very, very tough team to get by in West Virginia. So shout out to KU, shout out to the Big 12 basketball, and I'll end it there. 
All right. Uh, my final thought will be on, uh, at like uh, Will dropped earlier, just the loss of uh, Keith Jackson, uh, followed on the heels of the loss of uh, Dick Emberg, uh, two of the voices that I grew up listening to that, you know, basically were the soundtracks to a lot of great, uh, especially college football for me with Keith Jackson, uh, Rose Bowls, especially uh, New Year's Day, uh, the, you know, yes, indeedy duties. And, and uh, you know, he, he was in his hip pocket and all the little, you know, cliches that he used to have that I really used to enjoy. Uh, Keith Jackson, he was one of my favorite uh, commentators and announcers. And of course, Dick Emberg uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, just a voice of the AFC football in my eyes for so many years. Uh, those great calls to John Elway against Cleveland, uh, him and Merlin Olsen up there at Cleveland Stadium, <laughs> cold and, you know, bundled up mm-hmm. in an outside booth. Just, you know, just early memories of, you know, these guys that kind of made me into sports fans and, you know, want to pursue a life maybe behind the microphone that I thought as a young kid. So just shout out to those two icons, um, you know, just voices of, uh, you know, certain generation of sports fans that, you know, I, I know they have, you know, just memories and memories of those games and those calls from those guys that just added a little bit more extra and, and make those sports memories unforgettable. So uh, rest in power, as I will would say, to Keith Jackson and Dick Emberg. And but, Keith Jackson was the voice of NCAA Game Breaker on PlayStation back in the day, too. <laughs> no doubt. You know, when you lose the oh my's and the woo Nelly and the big uglies down there. Um, and you talk about iconic voices, Don. I think that, uh, you know, you grew up with those, those voices and you admire them for the way they made you feel a part of the game. Whether you played or not and you were just a fan, like they made you feel a part of the game. And uh, those voices being extinguished uh, means that, you know, while it's sad, there's room for new and, and, and different voices to be, you know, uh, uh, born and grown and, and, and expanded uh, here today. So it could be you. It could be next. No, not not on that bed. I'm saying on the great voices bed. So do your thing, man. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. So for my co-host, the Libra Icon, Dwayne, and our special guest, Will Strickland, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score. <laughs>